you I've already spoken on this morning. Thank you for your presence. You have poured it out right now in the name of Jesus. I believe I left my glasses in there. Amen. Amen. Not bad when you that bottle might be a little difficult. Amen. 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 I know I had them on. Now my dad used to say when you get 35, you start forgetting stuff. <laughs> I'm well past that age. So, 
As Jesus rode the donkey, the multitudes, y'all know the story, began to do what? Spread their garments. Others went and cut tree branches off of trees, and they did what? Spread them on the ground or on the road. And the cows that gathered around him, as he rode, began to cry out what? Hosanna. Hosanna what? To the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So Hosanna means save now. This cry was more than a cry of acclamation. And cry acclamation is a loud shout or a demonstration of welcome, goodwill, or approval. This, this cry was more than that. It was recognizing them, even though they didn't understand it, as the king that they had been waiting on. But it also represented a plea from an oppressed people to their savior for deliverance. God is a God of the oppressed. He comes to deliver those who have been oppressed by the devil. Amen. And the city was moved. And, it, and some people ask, even though some was crying, Hosanna, there were others who said, who is this? And the crowd said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. That's found in this whole story that I just kind of paraphrased is found in Matthew chapter 21, I believe. And so with that, I just wanted to bring you up and give you the reason why we celebrate Palm Sunday traditionally. But as you know, my favorite scripture is what? For God so loved the world. That what? That he gave his only begotten son. That what? Whosoever should not perish, but what? Have everlasting. That's John 3, 16. And we used to sing a song back in the day with these lyrics. He would not come down from the cross just to save himself. He decided to die just to save me. And I know that it's Palm Sunday and we are looking forward to resurrection uh, Sunday. However, have you ever thought what if Jesus did not come to die for us? We celebrate Palm Sunday. We celebrate him riding down the middle of the road and being celebrated. And we celebrate that he gave his life for us to be saved. But have you ever thought what if Jesus hadn't come to die for us? Okay, I'm going to make that sit right there and marinate a little bit. If Jesus hadn't come to die for us, we, you, me, you, I, the world, wouldn't know God's complete faithfulness. Number one, we wouldn't know God's complete faithfulness. Let's go with me to Genesis. Please go with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to walk through it. What if Jesus hadn't come to die for you and for me, for us? We would know God's complete faithfulness. Now, God, the Holy Spirit, told us a couple of weeks ago 
that faithfulness is one of God's unchangeable attributes. It means he does exactly what he says he will do, and he acts according with his nature. He acts in accordance with his nature. Now, faithful means, or pistos in the Greek means faithful, it means reliable, it means trustworthy, it means loyal, it means staunch, it means sure, and it means true. And you have to agree with me, or you should agree with me, God is all of that. Yes, he, is. he is faithful, he is reliable, he is trustworthy, he is loyal, God is a staunch God, right? he is sure, he is true. God the Father is all of that. But if Jesus hadn't come, we wouldn't know the fulfillment of every promise, including the first one that, has been, that is found where we get ready to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1, starting with verse number 1. And it says this. Y'all know the story, I'm sure. It says, now the serpent was more subtle, or subtle than any beast, which means he's the shrewdest of all of the wild animals, of any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, God hath said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, uh, another translation says, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, right? She started getting in a conversation with him. And she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but verse number three says, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst or the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you do what? Touch it. Lest you die. You don't eat it, and guess what? You don't touch it. Why? Because you'll die. Not physically, but spiritually. And the serpent said, or replied to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, or little g-gods, or another translation says, like God, knowing both good and evil. And when the woman did what? Saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat too. Amen. I put the two on there. Now, God, in, in verse 3, had instructed them, said, You shall not eat, nor neither shall you touch it. But God did not say, you shouldn't look at it. And when she looked at it, it caught her eye. And when her eyes caught it, it looked good to her. So as a result of her, it looking good to her, what she do? She ate it, and she gave it to Adam. Mm. Who was with her? Who was with her? Verse 7 is the most important, one of the most important. And the eyes of, of them both were open. And then they knew that they were what? Naked. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Aprons. Verse 8 says, And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the what? Presence of the Lord, Lord God, amongst the what? Trees of the garden, as if they could hide. <laughs> and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou, or where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I heard the voice in the garden. And I was what? Afraid. Don't be afraid when you hear the voice of the Lord. Amen. I was afraid because I was what? Naked. And I hid myself as if it was the first time that he had ever spoken to God. Right. Amen. <laughs> Naked. Amen. As if he didn't have never had a conversation with the Lord, our God. Naked. But this was the first time since he ate up that fruit that he realized that he was naked. And because he was naked, he said he had to hide himself from the Lord thy God. In my other words, he wanted God. to hide them skeletons. My God. Mm. That's good stuff. Don't try to hide your skeletons. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And he said, who told thee thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said a reply, the woman. <laughs> or another translation, it was the woman whom thou gavest me, or whom you gave me, to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. But he didn't deal with Adam right off. He went, God went straight to the woman. Mm -hmm. He said, and it says this, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done, or what have you done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled or deceived me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said, then he, God said, okay, you told the truth, now I'm going to get with the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, or more than all the animals, domestic and wild, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. But then God Here's the promise. God says, and I will put enmity, or I will cause hostility between thee, or you, and the woman, and between thy seed, or your offspring, and her seed, or her offspring, and, and, and it shall bruise thy head, or it will strike your head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, or, and you will strike his heel. Now, you need to understand that Satan is your enemy. He is your enemy. And he can do, and he will do anything he can to get you to follow his evil, deadly path. Now, before we look at the promise, let's, use the, let's look at the plan that he uses against you. Satan uses doubt. 
He makes you question God's word and God's goodness. Satan uses discouragement. He makes you look at your problems rather than at your God. He uses diversion. He makes the wrong things seem attractive so that you will want them more than the right thing. Diversion is a tactic that Satan uses to get your focus off of God. And he uses that spirit with people in front of you to get your focus off of where it needs to be. Satan uses defeat. What does that mean? He makes you feel like a failure so that you don't even try. He makes you feel like one before you even step out to do it so that you won't even try. Because if he can get you in that posture, that means you won't serve out what it is that God needs you to serve out in that moment. So Satan uses defeat, and then he also uses delay. He makes you put off something so that it never gets done. So he uses doubt, discouragement, diversion, defeat, and delay. But God's promise says this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike you on your head, and you will bruise or strike his heel. So what's the promise in that? He will strike your head, foreshadow Satan defeat when Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. A strike on the heel is not deadly, but a blow on the head can be deadly. God was promising and revealing his plan to defeat Satan and offer salvation to the world through his son, Jesus Christ. So that was the first promise, not the last promise of God. However, if Jesus hadn't come to fulfill that promise, you wouldn't know God's complete faithfulness. Because of the first promise, you can trust God in the last promise. Yes. Amen. 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 Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Good stuff. Mm, mm, mm. If Jesus hadn't come to die. You wouldn't know God's complete faithfulness, but faithfulness, but you wouldn't know the fullness of God's love. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Y'all don't mind hanging out in the word a little bit, do you? Romans chapter 5. Now, a couple of weeks ago, God told us about his faithfulness. Last week, God told us about his love. And he reminded us that God's love is another essential attribute that he has. An attribute is a characteristic, or that's his nature that he has. And from his other attributes, you learn about the fullness of God's love. Because he is self-existent, God's love has no beginning. Because he is eternal, 
His love has no end. Because God is holy, his love is the most concentrated essence of purity that has ever been known. Because he is God, his love is beyond our comprehension. Yes. Mm. Looking at his other attributes, especially because he's eternal, his love has no end. What does that mean? God cannot love you any less or any more than he already does. Why? Because his love has no end and it has no beginning. It's like a circle that, you know, a wedding ring. You cannot tell with the naked eye where a wedding band begins or where a wedding band ends. That's the same with God. He is not Alpha and Omega. He is Alpha and Omega. At the same time. At the same time. And God's love is beyond our comprehension. Yes. I don't understand it. Do you? I don't comprehend it. Can you? Well, why do you say that, preacher? We're going to read uh, Romans chapter 5. Y'all there? Verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? Ungodly or sinners. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Verse 8 says this. This is the shouting. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet or still sinners. Yes. Christ did what? He died for us. He died for us. While we were still in our yet. Yes. Our yet for us was we weren't born yet. <laughs> we were not even a gleam in our father's and mother's eye yet. But while we were in our yet, yeah. Christ died for who? The ungodly. Sinners, in the United States, occasions like Memorial Day, on occasions like Memorial Day, we honor the sacrifices of people who died so that others might live. Remembering these heroes brings to mind what Paul says here, that for a good person, perhaps that's what prayer adventure means, perhaps someone might even dare to die. It is rare for someone to lay down their lives for others. It's tremendously courageous and loving and worthy of honor. Jesus died while we were yet. Amen. But God's love is even bigger and more worthy of recognition than this. God proved his own love for you by dying for you while we were his enemies. He is essentially saying this in his love. I know you are rebelling against me but I love you, this is Jesus, but I love you so much that I am willing to die for you. Just as it was said this morning, you were worth it. He is saying to us, we are we're worth dying for. It was worth him coming down from heaven above, getting on the donkey and riding through the middle of town, only at the end of the week being crucified by those same people. 
He said it was worth it. The world has never seen or experienced a love like this. We have not experienced or seen a love like this. As we learned last week, the Greek word for love is agape. It's a word to which Christianity gave new meaning. Outside of the New Testament, it rarely occurs in existing Greek manuscripts of that period. Agape denotes an undefeatable, benevolence, and unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest for the other person. God's love is always seeking goodwill for us. Amen? No matter what we do. God's love is a self-giving love that gives freely, without reservation, no matter what we have done. Amen? It's a love by choice and not by chance. It refers to his will rather than his emotion. It describes the fullness of God's unconditional love that he has for you. And if Jesus hadn't come down, if Jesus not had come to die for us, we wouldn't know what that kind, what kind of love that is. The church has been called to express God's love in the world. Why? Because the church is the only one that really know what true love, agape love, is. Unconditional love or love without conditions. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. The church has been uniquely qualified, called out, mm -hmm. not to just come to church, but to be the church. Yeah. To show the world love, the love of God the Father, through God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit, that points them right back to who he is. Could it be that God took us outside the building so that we could become the church? Yeah. The church is not the building. The church is us. We are the hands, the feet, the mouth, the eyes, the ears of Jesus Christ in the earth. And if Jesus had not come to die, we would know, let alone, would know about the love, real love, and let alone how expressive. Mm. <laughs> we got work to do. Yes, we do. Yes. Expressing love does not mean you just express love to the people you like. That's right. Ah, oh, that's good, Pastor. That's good. That's real good right there. That's good. Or the people that agree with you. That's right. We got to love people that don't agree with us. That's right. As I said last week, you gotta love people that offend us. Yes. Hmm. Help us, Lord. Mm -hmm. That's why God, Jesus, God, God was smart. <laughs> he knew what we were gonna need in these days. That's why Jesus said, It is good for me that I leave. Because when I go back, I will ask my father to send the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he knew we was going to need the Holy Spirit to love people that are become totally unlovable. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And before you look down your halo with right. you, that's so crooked on your horns, you ain't always been saved. Come on. <laughs> and just not because you got salvation, don't look down and close the door on people that don't believe like you do yet. That's right. In fact, they are your mission field. Mm, that's good. Mission field is not over in Japan somewhere. Your mission field is right where you are every day. So my question is, what kind of God are you showing the people that's around you, especially the ones that disagree with you? Watch mm. <laughs> yourself. And, and, and trust me, it is hard to love some people. <laughs> very hard to love. I'm just it's very hard to love some people. Especially when they've shown you certain certain things. That and sometimes they don't have to say it to you, you can just watch them. Especially these last few years. You've seen some people that you said, wait a minute. But you gotta love them. God called the church to be loved, to show love, to do love. Yeah. And if Jesus hadn't come, we wouldn't have been able to express that love. Because nobody would know about that love. That's right. Amen? And let me go on. If Jesus hadn't come to die, we wouldn't know what real service, humility, or obedience really means, actually means. We wouldn't know it. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Y'all doing okay? Mm-hmm. Philippians chapter 2. What if Jesus had? I mean, that really blew my mind when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me. It had to be Thursday or Friday. I was thinking on something else for the day. He said, What if Jesus didn't come to die for you? What? I'll be honest with you, I had never thought about it. (laughs) Because I got so used to being under grace. Yeah. And I've gotten so used to having grace yes. that the people in the Old Testament didn't have that I never really thought about or contemplated. What if he hadn't shown up to give us grace? My God. Mm. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse number 5. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which we also wear. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Right? Verse number 6 says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And verse number eight says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And if you want a servant mindset, you need to look at the ultimate servant, Jesus, and adopt the same attitude that he had. If anybody deserved to be served, it was him. Mm-hmm. However, he did not come to be served. He came to serve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, the incarnation was the act of the pre-existing pre-existent son of God voluntarily assuming a human body 
and a human nature. Without ceasing to be God, be, ceasing to be God, he became a human being. So in other words, he didn't empty himself of his deity. He didn't stop being God. Rather, he put on a flesh suit and became a servant. He didn't let his deity stop him from expressing humanity. Mm. It was like this. It was like pouring the water into a container. Jesus poured the entirety of his deity in the container of his humanity, resulting in him being fully God and fully man. My he didn't give up his deity to become human. Let me say that. Jesus didn't stop being God the Son because he had on a flesh suit. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. Amen? But what he did do was set aside his right to his glory and power in submission to his Father's will. In other words, he had the right to exercise the glory of God and to walk in the power of God, but he set that aside so that he could do his Father's will, which goes back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. <laughs> Amen? Five eight again, five through eight again, so let this mind be you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He, or another translation said, instead he gave up his divine privileges. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Humble literally means this. It means to make low. It means to debase. It means to lower oneself. It describes a person who is devoid of all arrogance and self-exaltation, a person who is willingly submitted to God and his will. Jesus was willingly submitted to God the Father and his will. Amen? He was humble, he, he was humble but then he also was what? Obedient. And it signifies an attentive hearing. He listened with compliant submission. He did what he did with compliant. He didn't have to be forced to die for our sins. Amen? Amen. Now, he didn't just go that far. He wasn't just humble. He just wasn't obedient after the humbling of the incarnation, which was humble enough. Think about this. Think about Jesus being in the throne room with God where the four and twenty angels are just having a praise the Lord and a hallelujah time where the whole host of heaven is celebrating God the Father where the throne room filled with the presence and the power and the glory of God that Jesus had got to enjoy from the beginning But God the Father said, I got something you got, you got to do for me. <laughs> you 
got to, you have to willingly leave this power, this presence, this glory. And I need you to put on an earth suit. I need you to put on the earth suit. I need you to fill up that container with your deity. Put on, clothe yourself with humanity. And I need you to go through suffering persecution for people who are rebelling against us. And by suffering persecution, you have to go through the humiliation of dying as a criminal. You're talking about a holy son that never had sinned before and never did when he was in this body and never will sin putting on our sin going through the humiliation of dying a criminal death, which is a government's capital punishment for you and me. He died as a substitutionary sacrifice so that he may atone for us sinners. He died the death we deserve. Let me say that again. He died the death that we deserve. He died the death that human beings deserve. It goes all the way back to the rebellion in the garden because God told us not to touch that tree. He told us, but he already knew that we were going to touch that tree. And because he already knew that we were going to touch that, touch that tree, Jesus was purposed to come die for your and my sin. Yes. For the sin of humanity. And if he had not come to die, there would be no remission or forgiveness of our sin. Mm. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 9. What if Jesus wouldn't have showed up on that donkey <laughs> during that time period? What if he wouldn't have said, I ain't coming? <laughs> wow. Wow. Hebrews chapter 9. If he wouldn't have died, if he wouldn't have shed his blood, there would not be any remission of sin. When we start verse 11, it says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hand, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption or eternal, eternal deliverance, which is a payment or a ransom or bought a price for us. We have been bought with a price. Mm -hmm. Next verse says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and, of, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, or under, another translation, under the old system, the blood of the heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial 
impurity. Verse 14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God and purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 15 says, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament or New Covenant by, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that they which are called might, be, might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Verse number 16 says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. Another translation says, now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. Mm -hmm. Verse 17 says, for a testament is a force after men are dead. In other words, your will can't be enforced until you are dead. Right. So that's what Jesus had to come and do. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the tester, testator lives. Mm -hmm. Verse 18 says, whereupon neither the first testament covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and, the, and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and what? All the people. In other words, when, let me put it this way. Let's put it this way. When they gave a sacrifice at the temple, when they offered a sacrifice at the temple, it was not clean. When they say he sprinkled, it was more like he dipped the blood in that hyssop and he threw it, hitting whoever got hit with it. So it was a bloody mess. It was a bloody mess. And you imagine, and they didn't have no air conditioning. So in the summertime, can you imagine the bugs? Can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine the stickiness of being covered in animal blood? But you willingly did it because you were trying to get forgiveness of sin, and that was the only way at the moment to get forgiveness of your sin. Amen. Hmm. Verse 18 says, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For Moses has spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So he didn't, he not only sprinkled the books, sprinkled the people, blood was all over the tabernacle. It was messy. And he did that year after year. Hmm. And verse 22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no what? Remission. To remit is to forgive. Remission is a related word. It means forgiveness. The remission of sin then is simply the forgiveness of sin. If Jesus hadn't come to die, there would be no forgiveness of sin. Yeah. Amen. And because God is a holy God, sin cannot be in his presence. 
So what does that mean? We would not have the opportunity to walk in relationship with them in time, let alone in eternity. That's right. There would be no forgiveness of, I want you to Say, repeat this after me. There would be. There would be. No forgiveness. No forgiveness. Of my sins. Of my sins. If Jesus hadn't. If Jesus hadn't. Come to die. Come to die. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let that sit there. I want you to repeat that this week. There would be no forgiveness or no opportunity to be forgiven for the sin you commit even though you haven't received forgiveness of sin if Jesus hadn't come and died Matthew 26 28 you don't have to go there says for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission or forgiveness of sin when we take communion amen Luke 177 says to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission or forgiveness of sin Luke chapter 3 and 3 says, And he, John the Baptist, went into all the region around Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission or forgiveness of sin. After Jesus appeared to his disciples, he said in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, And that repentance and remission or forgiveness of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter tells a Roman named Cornelius, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sin. God the Father remits sin on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and that only comes by grace through faith. So if Jesus had come to die, let me finish it up here. Well, not really, but in a minute. You wouldn't know God's complete faithfulness. You wouldn't know the fullness of his love, God's love. You wouldn't know what real service, humility, and obedience means. And there would be no forgiveness or remission of sin. So with that said, I'm going to conclude with a poem written by Robert S. Lehi. It says this, If Christ had not come to the earth long ago, all our hearts would be sad, our lives would be filled with woe. There'd be no glad message to offer the lost, no hope of salvation, no death on the cross. If Christ had not come, there'd be no Christmas story, no Luke chapter 2, no angels of glory. There'd be no silent night, no joy to the world, no singing of carols, no glad news to herald. If Christ had not come, there be no more Easter, no more breaking of bread with brother or sister. There be no redemption, no Sunday school teachers, no forgiveness of sin, and no long-winded preachers. If Christ had not come to the world long ago, some things would still be the same, don't you know? There'd still be religion in man's vain attempt to answer questions of life and death. Mm. If Christ had not come on this earth to dwell, the agnostics would lead all the people to hell. There'd still be shopping, the carousing and drinking of wine and whiskey to keep folks from thinking. 
If Christ had not come from heaven above, there would be no grace, no peace, no joy, no love. No hope for the future could we have within just lostness and darkness and the black clouds of sin. If Christ had not come to the earth with a mission, our faith would be in vain and our church mere tradition. God's restraint of the devil and the power of the spirit would not be part of our earthly experience. There would be no gospel to tell the story of God's wonderful plan to take us to glory. No John 3.16 to tell of God's love. No plan of redemption brought down from above. There be no more hope for a better world coming. There be no promise of his second coming. Amen? Amen. The promise of his second coming. Our hearts will be filled with bitterness and dread at the news that our friends and our loved ones were dead. But Jesus did come to a bed in the hay, a stone for his pillow and a manger that day. He accomplished the plan of his Father above and brought to the world the power of his love. Yes. Christ did come to the earth long ago to die for our sins and suffer such woe. Mm. Christ came down to seek and save all that were lost. He paid a great price. His blood covered the cross. Yes. Christ lit up the world with a radiant glow of truth and of love to us sinners of woe. The plan of salvation he offers to all who hear his sweet voice and heed the call. Yes. Praise God. Hallelujah. He came to die. Yes. <laughs> Praise God. He came to die. Thank you. Praise God. He came to die. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That the question has been answered. Well, if he did not come to die, the question has been answered. He did come to die. And as we celebrate the rest of this week, beginning with Palm Sunday, we thank God that he did. Yes. Amen? Yes. Amen. Father, we just thank you and praise you for that word. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to die for our sins. And that we are cleansed by your blood. So, Father, I ask you, I, I repent right now, God, for taking that for granted. I repent, Father, because it's your goodness that brings repentance. And you are a good, good God. Because of that first promise, we can believe your last promise that Jesus is coming back again. And that we will live with you in eternity. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God for his word. Please remember his word. Minister McGee's and her family as her niece Kim Tillman has gone on to be with the Lord. Homeboy service is Thursday at Mount Zion. Visitations at 10, the 